And hello, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Ripstone. Welcome to the first chapter here in You Be Known podcast. I'm with my friend, Bob, obviously, and we will, let's do, uh, how they how they say it in radio world, uh, it's uh, in, just a warning here. So, ladies and gentlemen, it is a warning. You might hear a cuss word or s- several. You might hear things you don't like, and that's okay. Let me know about it. Definitely on Twitter, let me know about it. If you don't like it, if you like it, let me know that too. But we're here with Bob. We're going to go ahead and figure out his story. We're going to dive into that right now. Bob, tell me a little bit about yourself before we get into all your story. Uh, well, I am a husband, father of two. Um, I like woodworking. I've uh, been working at the same job for the last five years, which is probably the longest I've ever worked at any place. Ever. Ever. <laughs> ever. And um, just going through through life's changes right now, just, just trying to restructure myself and, and understand my identity and uh, carry on. Let's, uh, let's go. Where does your story begin? Does it begin with mom and dad? Does it begin with youth? Does it begin with older? My story begins when my parents divorced. I was uh, approximately seven years old, eight years old. I, I don't remember. Um, I do remember the few years before my parents got divorced were some of the safest and happiest memories I've had. Uh, and there's not many that follow after that. When, uh, when you say safe, because they were good together, right? Uh, yeah, they were good together. They... They were loving parents. They, my dad held down in the eighties. He had a job that, that they were making over a hundred thousand dollars a year. Wow. Um, my mom was a travel agent and she was making decent money too. So we, me and my sister didn't want for anything. We were, we were taking care of, we were safe emotionally, physically, every, every aspect. And then after their divorce, what, what, where did your path go from there? After my parents divorced. Who'd you go live with, too? And my, my parents split up, and we, they basically both left the state almost at the same time. They went to two different states, one on the East Coast and, and another one in the middle of the United States. So my sister and I were doing school years on the East Coast, and then the summers with my dad here. And uh, we just kind of were back and forth uh, every year. So so you, you basically went seven months East Coast mm-hmm. and five months. Well, about three months. Three months. Summer, summer. Summertime. Vacation, yeah. Here? Yeah. And so uh, – my dad remarried, and they had two kids of their own, and, and his wife, my stepmom, brought two kids in from her previous marriage. So there were six kids total uh, in a tiny house, not making a whole lot of money, because after that, my dad didn't have 
a whole lot of very good jobs. So there were, I mean, it was like ramen and cornbread. Yeah. Kind of living. Hot dogs and yeah. bread. Yeah. 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 Hot dogs and bread. Definitely couldn't afford hot dog buns. No. No. And so uh, that was the summers. And then the, the school years in in the East Coast where my sister and I lived with my mom and my stepdad. He wasn't my stepdad at the time, but he was. He, he would eventually become my stepdad. He uh, he was in the DEA, so he we lived in Virginia, just south of Washington, D.C. And so my mom worked with him in the headquarters building, and we lived there for, I don't know, uh, almost a decade, off and on for almost a decade. He a good guy? Was he good to you? He is he's a great guy. Uh, and he was good to me in the respect that he provided uh, a rigorous, <laughs> rigid uh, boundary on on what was expected of me as a, a young man growing up as a kid um, with no leeway. She's okay. It's all right. I mean, we got to do this stuff. So <laughs> you're a good dad. So it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. So do you want to say hi? You want to say hi? Say hi. Hi. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we'll have my daughter on here too one day. I should have brought her. I should have brought my daughter. So what about stepmom? Uh, my stepmom was probably the most loving of all of them and um, the most passive. Though. But she she comes from kind of a broken home, too. Well, she came from a broken home. She's passed away since then. Um, she, she was very good. And, uh, I mean, I hate to say it, but sometimes I, I feel like she was more of a nurturing mom than my birth mom, my biological mom. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I had, I had the best of all the worlds and I'm unfortunately, and I think this is where a lot of my life, uh, problems comes from is that I, I had four parents, but I had no parents. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of hard to figure out your identity when nobody wants to claim ownership of you. And then you didn't have any identity to go off of either because which way, which direction are you going to go? Yeah, exactly. And I, I tried to parse that out by myself. I, um, I wanted to graduate high school on the East coast, but I, I didn't want to stay there because it was too rigid too strict and I was like okay well I, I know my dad is a lot less strict so I'm gonna I'm gonna move to his house but it didn't work out that way so I was trying to figure out who I was and, and I decided the best thing for me was to drop out of high school and go and join the military where they're even more strict <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, let's go back to the strict port Okay, so, and don't take offense to this, but, like, when I was a kid, I thought my dad was strict, strict as hell. Mm -hmm. I thought, uh, like, it was, and later I found out it was even, now that I'm older, it was more structured than strict. 
Yeah. And is it similar to that now that you're older or was it, is it actually strict, strict? Uh, I mean, I, I think for me, structure and strictness were interchangeable because he, my stepdad, uh, was in the Navy. Then he was a, a police officer for the Dallas Fort Worth area. And then, uh, for a really brief time, he was a secret service agent and then he was in the DEA and he retired from the DEA. Cool. So like everything he did mm-hmm. had to be by the letter. Oh yeah. So. Okay. I see. I see what you're saying. It was structure and strict. Yeah. It was structure and strict because, and even, even to this day, he's been, he's been retired for, I don't know, probably close to 20 years now, even to this day when he talks, he engineers his sentences to where you can only come to one conclusion because he spent so much time writing reports, mm-hmm. so much time in courtrooms, right. talking to judges, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like growing up in that environment, it was just, it was tough when I, if I'd known what I was looking at, if I'd known why, not just because, but why, uh, I think I could have thrived in that environment, but that environment is not conducive to nurturing. Right. Yeah. It's one or the other, though. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. that How old were you when you quit school? And what did you do? Wait, that, that baffles me, too, because, like, when I was in school, I loved school. I, I did. And there was no way I would have quit. Yeah. And so what did, what did you do? How did that work? Uh, well, I wasn't making good grades. And so in my head, uh, society said, if you're not making good grades, you're not going to get to a good school or you're not going to be a productive member of society. And maybe a little bit of that was my parents too, telling me that if I don't make good grades, I'm going to be a bum. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And so I figured, well, if I can at least get my GED that I've graduated. Mm -hmm. So the grades don't matter. It's all about graduating. And so I was like, okay, well, um, it's time to nut up or shut up. Yeah. And so I, I told my dad, I didn't want to do school anymore. And he's like, all right, well you can go get your GED. And I went dropped out of school and like two weeks later went and took my GED test without studying for it and passed it. So it's like I knew enough to get out of school, so I was good. But so when from the time you took your GED, mm-hmm. when okay, and so you're done. You got your high school diploma. You got your GED. Yep. You go. When's where's the time span from joining the military? There almost non-existent. Uh, I I got my GED and pretty much went straight to the recruiting office, and they said I had to wait. Till I was 17 and a half, which was like, I don't know, a month or two months. Yeah. And then uh, I had my pa- my parents sign waivers to, so I could join and uh, went to MEPS right after that. So, <laughs> and where did you do that all at? San Antonio? No, here. Lawton? No, right in Tulsa. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And so you did all that military. And then how long were you in the military? Uh, from 99 to 05. So you went through 9-11 and all that stuff? Yeah. Uh, it was pre-9-11, peace wartime, or not peace wartime, peace time, and then uh, straight into wartime. And that was 
That was unique. Was it? Was that that? Because I have a lot of friends in the military, mm-hmm. uh, and and all they could say was fear. Because I know a lot that went in before in peacetime, and then that happened, and it was just fear. Yeah, yeah. There, I mean, that was definitely the, the permeating feeling, emotion, uh, what have you. Because uh, you go from you go from being passive and you're just training why are you training mm-hmm. i don't know because i saw it on tv right and this is what i'm supposed to do i guess to oh shit it's real yeah like life just got real real and then yeah uh you just kind of i mean like everything else you just kind of figure it out and and you go as you need to well let's let's take a break real fast and we'll pick it up from military How's that sound? All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Rip Stone here with Bob. And uh, to carry this on, so military is where we're at right now. Yeah. And uh, so military pretty wild or? Um, I mean, it, it, at first it was, it was, uh, like party culture, uh, there's a lot of drugs, um, a lot of drinking, and trying to figure all that out, trying to fit in, you know, yeah. trying to, I mean, being young and in that culture is not conducive to establishing any kind of normally socially acceptable identity. So, it, it, so you, and you went in early, early too. Yeah. So you were by far the youngest person there too, yes. probably. Yeah, all, all, uh, every, everything I did, I was the youngest person there. And uh, you get, you get singled out for it. <laughs> you get not necessarily ostracized, but uh, I definitely got picked on. I think more than most, which kind of helped reinforce everything that I went through when I was in school, which. I, I used to get picked on all the time because of my appearance. I had my ears stuck out so far. <laughs> and I'd get into fights. I, I probably got into a fight every year on average in school. And uh, same kind of thing in the military. And it just, just never stopped. So, I mean, like, being in that environment... Uh, being that young and and trying to assimilate into a culture that I had no business being in, it just made for soup sandwich, as they say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Soup sandwich. We're going with that. Um, did you get? Did you go overseas or anything? Or? No, I, I I'm grateful that I didn't. Um, a, a lot of buddies of mine did, and. Uh, I, I think I'm better off than them in some yeah. ways. I I don't have to struggle with PTSD. Um, I don't have to drink to maintain my sanity. And I think that's helped quite a bit uh, in, in furthering my life along than uh, could have otherwise been. I mean, I'll be honest, uh, my grandpa was in the Korean War. And he came back, and that's all he did was drink. He drank for decades and lost so much money to alcohol. 
And so, like, in my family, that's kind of a thing. Like, we have a history of doing that. But I, I am grateful that I, I didn't go and I didn't experience that because I don't, I don't know that I would have made it, honestly. Do uh, you're, you don't have that addictive personality, though, right? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I would like to say that I don't, but I think some, some parts of me do. Uh, I, I don't know if I would call it addiction more than I obsess about things. It's like when I start a project, my wife hates it because I'll start a project and I won't stop until I'm finished. Yeah. So it's like, it's more of an obsessive kind of thing, I think. Even, even if uh, that project, you know, will take a couple of days, you're safe. If it, um, it's going to get done today. Yeah. I'll, I'll work well into the night. And, uh, won't stop really until I can either find a good logical stopping point mm-hmm. or if I just, it's absolutely like, uh, it's like 3am I need to stop. And and how were you not the perfect soldier though with that type of personality? I was, my, my platoon sergeant told me one time that I was the best field soldier he ever had, but I was not a good garrison soldier because in my head I was like, Class A's are stupid. We're not here to do that. We're just here to shoot shit. So, like, why aren't we out in the field? But uh, with with being in a prestigious unit like the 82nd, you don't really have a choice what you get to do because you're kind of like the the Army's pin on your lapel. Everybody's going to look at it. Mm-hmm. So you have to make sure it's shiny. And that's where I fucked up a lot. For me, it was trying to uh, maintain a balance. I, I really didn't even know. At, at the time, I didn't know that's what I was looking at. I was trying to maintain a balance of garrison versus field, but shining all my stuff up, making sure my, my barracks room was clean, making sure my TA-50 gear was all squared away, like, uh, I just didn't have time for that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It, yeah. It what, just didn't fit. What did you want to do before? Or what did you want to do while in the military? I mean, like, when I joined the military, I didn't really have an idea of what I wanted to do. My grand plan was do 20 years in the Army, then retire at 37. Yeah. Which would have been, like, this, this age. This year. Yeah. <laughs> And then do another 20 years in a government agency. And and my stepdad being in the DEA, uh, I was a shoo-in for all that stuff. Oh, yeah. It, it didn't work out that way. What, 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 as I stutter through this, what, <laughs> what, where were you, where was your mindset, though? I mean, first off, you were a kid. I mean, like, yeah. there's no, not even, that you were, you were literally a kid. I mean. I know we're at our age, we say they're 22, 23, we say a kid, but you were actually a kid. You were 17, 18 years old. That's a kid. Yeah. So where was it that you, what did you want to do when you realized I'm not, this ain't, this ain't happening? I had no idea. I, st- I mean, I'll be honest. I, I still didn't have, I don't, I don't even know still, man, what I want to do. I, I don't know what I want to do. I know that I like woodworking and I want to have my woodworking company. 
or even just just myself, just building furniture, building cabinets, whatever, uh, tables and chairs. Like I just I enjoy it. It's cathartic. It's it's everything. Like everything that I like to do, it makes sense. It's logical. Um, but at, at that point in my life, I didn't have any idea what I wanted to do. And I was just kind of stumbling along, kind of like, uh, seaweed floats in the water or a log floats down river and yeah. it bumps into all the rocks. Like you hit all the obstacles and you get pinned against one until a flood comes along and washes you further downstream. It's a great analogy. Uh, when you were in the military, did at, it, at what point did you get in trouble? Did you, did you, because I mean, obviously you're a good soldier, but no. you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, you you could have been trouble. that, that, you know what I'm saying? And then you left the military, right? Yeah. So you were in six years. Did you sign up for six years or did you sign up for four? What is that? I how does that even for three. Signed up for three, and how long have you been? Six years, mm-hmm. and well, I, once you got out, I mean, go, going back to answer other questions, like yeah, I, I did get in trouble. I got into a lot of trouble. I I was confined to post. Uh, I got into drinking months. drugs, all that stuff, or no, for I mean, there was side story, close call. They had just passed the law where uh, if you have an open alcohol container in your vehicle. You're getting a ticket. They didn't have that law in the state where I was at. And so first day, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go hang out with some friends, and we're going to go downtown and skate. So I got a 40, and driving, like, super fast, like, blow through this red light because we're racing downtown. I was like, screw it. I'm going to plow through this red light, and I almost T-boned a cop. Oh, no. So he pulls me over, and I'm freaking out, like, oh, my God. He was looking at me probably like, this kid has no idea what's going on. I know that he's in the military and he's probably going to get in trouble. So he was kind enough to write me two tickets. One to show my first sergeant that I was speeding, but I had to go and pay for the open alcohol and the speeding ticket on the same day. So, I mean, like that was the kind of mindset that, that permeated my, my existence, my life when I was in the army. So I got in trouble for uh, fighting, uh, I got into a fight where, uh, driving fast, chasing this guy, we followed him to his parents, <laughs> jumped out and a brawl ensued and I got my head busted open and ended up, the MPs got called and almost died that night and, uh, got, got confined to post. I almost died that night. Yeah. You know, I'm going to have to ask. Uh, I don't know what the guy hit me with, but he hit me with something, a rock, a bottle, Oh dear. And like, I still got a dent in the side of my head where he tore my skull open, blood everywhere. Why does the, why does it, whenever your head gets not gashed open, it just bleeds like a stuck hog. Too. Yeah. This yeah, is everywhere. Uh, so yeah, that, uh, he hit me with something and then I took off running and it was midnight, and everybody's outside the barracks partying. And I ran up to this group of people, and I was like, you guys got to help me. This guy's trying to kill me. And everybody's just, like, wide-eyed and mouths open. They were like, dude, you're bleeding. And I was like, what are you talking about? Well, it turns out the, the group of people I ran to were all that guy's friends. Oh. One guy, one guy out of the whole bunch had enough sense to, like, 
pull rank and was like, you know, this ain't happening. We're going to get the NPs. Cops are going to take it. So uh, they came and got me. My platoon sergeant came and got me the next morning. He's like, yeah, man, I, I didn't think you had it in you, but, like, you showed guts. However, because the NPs got called, you made post blotter. And now the post commander knows about it. So we got to do something. So my captain was like, you're getting in trouble. We're going to throw the book at you. So they took money, confined me to post, like uh, barracks duty, CQ, all that shit for, I don't know, like six weeks or something like that. It was ridiculous. So I was making like no pay. Yeah, but still working your ass off and yeah. still cleaning details and all that shit. So like that was the mentality I had. And I, I, was, I was really struggling trying to force Force my identity, but I didn't know what I was forcing. Was it you against the world? Was it you against the army? Was it you against your parents? Was it the all of the above? Yeah, yeah. I did. I I felt like nobody accepted me, and this kind of goes back to the, the whole thing with my parents, like divorcing and having four parents, but not having any guidance. Like, mm -hmm. Uh, nobody accepted me for who I am, but I didn't know who I was to even accept myself. So trying, trying to fit anything somewhere, anywhere that I could even get a toehold was just like not happening. wasn't, wasn't working. And, uh, leaving the military and coming back here, it was trying to find civilian jobs or, uh, whatever I could get my hands into. Most of the time it ended up like carpentry or trim, trim carpentry, framing houses. Uh, I, I did work at a pizza place for four years and made mediocre money there, but it, it still, it wasn't, wasn't working. Then I went to, I found, I got a cold call. And they were like, hey, do you want to go to school for heating and air conditioning? I was like, all right, sure, why not? So I talked to my parents about it. They financed it, and uh, I went to school and graduated, uh, I think, third in my class and still couldn't find a job. Even so, with an HVAC? Yeah. Was it a trade school? Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it wasn't until I, I decided to start pursuing <clears throat> more of a relationship with God, with uh, who, who I felt like was the one constant in my life that things started to change. And so uh, I chased tail for a long time and, and that still wasn't working. How old were you when you left? And before we go, before uh, twenty three. I was twenty twenty six when I got here. When I got back, and trade school. Twenty seven, twenty eight, twenty seven. No, it was it was twenty eight, twenty nine. Okay. And then, um, just a. A bunch of years there just kind of meandering not really doing anything yeah um and when you say all that and you because 
faith was basically your constant. Was that from military? Was that oh, from yeah, parents? Okay, so let's like rewind real quick back to when I was a kid. The reason my parents split up um, was uh, by my own deduction in case that they're listening one day. <laughs> um, by my own deduction was that my dad uh, found God again and he kind of overcompensated and kind of became hyper-religious and my mom was like, no, like that's not, I'm not really feeling that because she, she didn't come from a atheist family or whatever. She actually kind of grew up Catholic from what I understand. So, uh, she, she knew a little bit about what it looked like to be a Christian. But, uh, I think the way my dad was doing it was just a little over the top. And so they fought about it and they just couldn't, couldn't do it. So, uh, they split up and my dad maintained his course, trying to figure out him himself and his identity. And my mom just kind of went off and did her own thing. Um, so religion, uh, you could say is, is, has been in my life since I was born, but, uh, relationship with God that's that's all new, new ground for mm-hmm. me. I mean, like, it wasn't honestly until I met my wife that I really started trying to figure this out because I don't, I don't have a whole lot of people showing me how to do it. I don't. I mean, I don't know anybody else besides the people that I've met. I guess I could say that the, before I started pursuing a relationship with God, the people that I met before it was all about religion and not relationship. Yeah. So when I met my wife, my intention was to try and figure this out. Uh, albeit I didn't know how, so it's just kind of been, uh, trial and error. Yeah. Kind of basis, you know, trial and error with wife or trial and error with all of it. Yeah. <laughs> like all of it. So like with, with my wife, uh, this is the longest relationship. I mean, I, I would be willing to bet if I could rewind my whole life, every relationship I had before her combined does not equal the amount of time that I've been with her. Run through them. Yeah. So let's, let's, yeah, let's talk about that too. Let's okay. So you were running through them. Were you empty inside because of, you were faithful, but there was no one to show you the way of faith or were you empty inside because you were missing something else in your life together? I think uh, I would have to say that, that I didn't have anybody to show me. Uh, I mean, my, my dad was a Christian, but he, he was like, Hey, listen, we got to go to church on Sunday. We got to read the Bible. And this is just what we got to do because this is what we got to do no why no Mm -hmm. no, this is the ideology behind it no well maybe if we think about this we get a b and c equals d kind of thing you know there's there's, there was no logic it was just again going back to my stepdad do as i say not as i do yeah like this is the rigid this is this is the stuff that you're supposed to do because this is what you're supposed to do 
So I, I definitely didn't have anybody showing me how to do any of it. And in a relationship too, you also, had you ever seen even a healthy relationship? No. Uh, I mean, my, my dad and my stepmom was probably the closest thing to a healthy relationship, but I didn't, I didn't get that. But you were gone too. Exactly. I was, I was privy to it for a few hours out of the day for three months out of a year. Out of a year. So, I mean, it doesn't add up to a lot and I don't get to see it. And then when I was growing up in, on the East coast with my mom and my stepdad, they would leave for work at like 5:30 AM and get back at 5:30 or six, sometimes seven or eight o'clock at night. And so like we'd eat dinner, we'd go to restaurants and eat dinner at six 30, seven 30, eight o'clock at night and go home and go to bed. Yeah. And then I'd go get up and go to school. So I didn't see their relationship. It was they non-existent. Yeah, it was non-existent for you. Yeah. So for, for me, to see love, to see what a, a real relationship looked like, uh, like everything I knew was on TV. And you knew that was fake as hell. Yeah. But it was the only thing I had. That was my only reference point. Yeah. So uh, trying to meet a real person and fit him into a box that you got off of the shelf when you went to the HBO store, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, trying to fit a real person into that box doesn't exist, and so you're saying pretty woman doesn't exist. Are you sure? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, let's uh, take a break. Uh, I gotta smoke a cigarette because that's what I do. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Rip Stone along with Bob, and uh, we'll be back in just a minute, and uh, we'll pick it up from there right before you met Wifey. We'll go right there, and then we'll go from there. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back in just a minute. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, on You Be Known, here with Bob. I just want to make sure that (laughs) I never get to do that, so I wanted to do it one time. Uh, We are drinking stones, me being ripstone. Okay, so let's pick back up. You were running through them. And then met ex-wife. My ex-wife. So, uh, back home, trying to figure out life. Age. Age. Oh, uh. 29? Yeah, I think that's, that's accurate. I think that's when we got married was when I was 29. So she, uh, is four or five years older than me. I don't remember. It's been a decade now. Do you know her from before? Or did you just meet her? Uh, a friend of mine. Because uh, I was talking to her about the, my woes and, and how I was lonely or something like that. I don't know. She said, "Well, I got this friend. She's right down the street. She has this store." And I was like, "Okay, tell me more." She said, "Well, she's like Miss Southeastern Oklahoma or something like that, and she's just stacked." And I was like, "Yeah, get stacked." <laughs> <laughs> so let's go meet. And so I I went in and she was standing there and I or sitting behind the counter and I was like. She thought I was a customer, so I just went in and I was like, hey, you're pretty. You want to go out? And she was like, oh, uh, okay. And then that was kind of it. So we kind of just started dating and 
that lasted for about six months and we got married and that lasted for about eight months. And then that was it. So that's the short of it. The long of it was, uh, it was, it was a superficial attraction, a marriage of convenience. She was, she was in her early to mid thirties. She had not, she was the only child. She had not left home. She was still living with her parents, which should have been a red flag. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But for me, I was like, well, she's, she's pretty and she's got her stuff together. So, I mean, let's give it a try. And I was a willing participant and she wanted to get married so she could say that she had gotten married and that's pretty much the basis of our relationship. There was no substance and it shows because we divorced real quick. So <laughs> what? Okay. So, I mean, I've been married. Oh God. I've been married forever. I've been married 12 years. So when you, you, you met, got married and then it just crumpled from there. How did it just, was it a spiraling I think. And how long were y'all together when it started spotting? Uh, I mean, I think the, uh, well, no, our, we, we fought for the whole honeymoon. We went to Jamaica for a week and fought the whole time we were there. I don't remember what about. Probably wasn't fought. anything about. No, but we sure fought. So like, it, it was, it was fighting the whole time pretty much. Uh, uh, she, was set in her ways. So, I mean, I think that it was like a maturity thing. I was immature and she was too mature because I didn't know what I wanted. She knew exactly what she wanted. And she was trying to force me into a little HBO box. So like she had this idea of what she wanted in a husband and I just wasn't fitting in it. And we would fight about finances like we even we're married right so we split rent like half of the rent came out of my paycheck the other half came out of her paycheck half the bills came out of my paycheck half the bills came out of her paycheck etc etc so like this is not how you're supposed to do a marriage and i i felt like it was a lot of unfair and she i i think personally i think that she kind of resented me for not fitting into that little box and I could just feel the animosity. Eventually it got physical and she started punching me, hitting me, pushing me. And that was my, that was it. That was my final straw. So I was like, all right, whatever. I grabbed a box and picked all my really important shit. Yeah. Put it in there. And that's what I walked away with. And then a year later, she came back and gave me all my family heirlooms. Like we've got some some antique gold family heirlooms and things like that. That's pretty cool, though. At least she yeah. came back. Yeah. So. Any uh, animosity towards her? No. Uh, I mean, there's there's still some hurt, but like it's it's not so much from her as much as it is like. The, the hurt I felt from from not belonging, mm. from not uh, being accepted, 
And yeah, I mean, I, I forgive her. I hope that if I did anything to her that she forgives me. Um, but I've learned to identify where my hurt and my pain come from. And it, it wasn't from her. So she was crazy, but there's no animosity. <laughs> <laughs> so y'all divorced. Are you going back running through them again? Yeah. Uh, not as frequently because, uh, was there any alcohol drugs in through all that? Uh, not, not to the point to where, uh, it was a necessity. I didn't yeah. rely on it. You just like, you, you just like to get drunk every now and again. Then. Yeah. Yeah. It's a social lubricant as my stepdad calls it. And it really is a social lubricant. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, trust me. I'm a drinker. I know. Um, and then the, the drugs were few and far between, uh, very few and far between. There was probably before I met my my wife. There was like maybe a month where I was like, "All right, Stonehead, Stoner is the way. Stonehead, yeah. Stoner is the way to go." Yeah. And that was a month. That was it. So, uh, the the drugs and alcohol were there, but almost non-existent. Not a thing. Yeah. Not not something that. Yeah. Not. Not a crutch. Yeah. You know, and, and to, that's, that's a huge credit on you, you know, yeah. that, that you didn't know who you was. You didn't have an identity, but you didn't lean on things like that. Because I know people who who have done that. Mm-hmm. And and then they have the identity of being a butthead, a drughead, or an alcoholic, or something like yeah. that. So that's big kudos to you. I, I don't think, I mean, I, I appreciate it, but I don't think that it's so much of something that, uh, a choice that I made as much as it was growing up uh, with a stepdad who was in the DEA. Like, the the whole, their whole existence, the whole reason that they are who they are is because of drugs. And, I mean, uh Part of me is hypocritical because I, I grew up in that environment, that culture, and uh, I saw a lot of my stepdad's uh, colleagues pass away, uh, literally within the war on drugs, like getting shot, murdered, uh, whatever, uh, however they died. Like it, it was because they got to a gunfight and they lost. And... Uh, I mean, that, that shit was real to me. So for me, it was like, drugs are bad. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> drugs are bad. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I never really got into it. I, I, I knew people that did it. And I, I, have, I have done drugs, but uh, the most consistent thing I ever smoked was marijuana. And the, that didn't even count anymore. Right? That didn't even count anymore. The, the hardest thing I ever did was snorted some Percocets <clears throat> and uh, I'm like a grand total of maybe one pill of ecstasy. Yeah. But like little pieces of it over the course of, I don't know, a month or so. Yeah. And that was the longest, that was, that's all I ever did. So I think that the credit is due to my, my family, my parents, 
um, and the environment of the anti-drug culture. So it's not so much me. The Nancy Reagan stuff. I guess I'm lost on that reference. The red card, the red ribbon. That's Nancy Reagan stuff. Uh, so y'all divorce. Mm-hmm. Divorced. Um, walked away. Never saw her again. Still haven't seen her. Um, still crazy. Still yeah. crazy to me. And uh, went went through them again. Tried to trying to find love. Trying to find. Was faith on the back burner at this point? Or still there? No, I mean, it's still there. I mean, I wasn't going to church or anything like that. But it's, I, I knew, I've, I've always known there's a God. I've always known that there is somebody out there that has love for me. I just didn't know how to accept it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I still am, I know now, but I'm still struggling with that idea. It's, it's the hardest thing for me to get past because I have to get past myself in order to do that. And that's just really scary. And so faith was, it was there. It just wasn't, I wasn't pursuing it. And so I had girlfriends and really, I had good ones and I had bad ones. And most of them were just like, hey, let's get together and sleep about it, and then that's it. Um, the one that that kind of broke me, I, I guess, like, broke my, my spirit in, like, really trying to live in that lifestyle was the one before my wife. And I, I thought she was everything I ever wanted physically. Emotionally, she was non-existent, and she um, she just wasn't there. She it, it was bad. We worked together, but we worked on different shifts. So she worked in the mornings, and I worked in the evenings. So like I would see her, I'd see her every day. We'd overlap, and yeah. then when I was working, and she would come back to work, she'd come visit me and tell me she's going to meet some friends or going to meet this guy. At, at a bar or whatever. And, um, like that, that broke me and it tore me out, but I didn't ever really let her see it. I just told her to go and have a good time. You know, let me know when she got back. And so, uh, I just didn't want to do that anymore. I, I, I wanted to be somebody's primary and I didn't, I didn't want to again, feel unaccepted. I wanted so desperately to just be accepted that uh, I was willing to suffer through that for a while, but I finally broke and I was I was done. I I didn't want to do it anymore. So uh, I split with her. I, I don't know. It was I don't know, three or four months we were together or something like that. Some insignificant number, and then. <laughs> Uh, I was, I was just broken. So I, I made a deal with God. I told him the next person that I meet, I'm not going to sleep with until we get married. And I, I took a stand on that and I pursued that 
to the end of my life. And were you dating? The intention was to date. Yeah. But when I made that deal with God, the next day I met Ashley. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, we met and it was Thanksgiving and we got married on Christmas or right before Christmas. By Christmas, we were married. Six weeks? Uh, four weeks. Four weeks? If that. If that? Yeah. What? Okay. So we've gone through pretty much your past when it comes to females. Mm-hmm. What was the difference between her and any other female? God. Did she have it and you were looking for it? No. She, uh, I mean, I don't want to say no. What I want to say is it, it was my decision to pursue God. It was my, my, my decision to pursue a relationship with God and put him before, uh, any female relationship. And so when I, it, it, and it really wasn't even like the relationship wasn't even so much about reciprocity between me and God. It was just the fact that I decided to allow him to do whatever he does. And so when I did that, he, he put her in my path and she has been everything I've needed to become a better person. She, she herself pushes to become a better person. And as much as I fight it, as much as I try not to, um, allow the the good to come out even though I know that's what I want like it's she still breaks through mm. and I'm I'm eternally grateful for that because I just I don't think that I could be who I am without s- establishing that foundation with a relationship with her and, and with my relationship with God uh, when y'all first got together, mm-hmm. did you resist it? Were you trying to resist that relationship with her, even though you had that relationship with God? Sexually? No, 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 no. Just in general, as a relationship. Oh no, no. I was. I mean, I was all about like, uh, you're a girl, I'm a guy. Um, like, let's do guy girl things. Let's hang out. Let's go do whatever we do. Like, let's figure this out. And, uh, it was good. We, we went out on dates, we hung out, we watched movies together, although she'll tell you I fell asleep through most of them. (laughs) Um, we, we planned, we had ideas and then we had a kid and that kind of changed everything again. And so... I did you ever want a family? Was that yes. was that, that something? Was, that was the end game. Yeah, yeah. That was the end game for me was to have a family because in, in my head, like that was the ultimate, the epitome of acceptance. Right. You know, like if I want to be accepted, there's no place else that you will be accepted more than at home. Yeah. And home is family, and that's where we're going. That's what we want. 
And uh, I, I mean, thinking about it now, honestly, that that was probably a driving factor in a lot of things, a lot of my decisions, not just relationship, but like creating an environment of, of home. And it's kind of, uh, it's kind of exactly what you wanted though, right? Yeah. No, it's, it's exactly what I want. Then now I want to be better. I, I have a home. I have a family. Man, my kids accept me like nothing else. And for me, that's, that's, I don't know, man, it's, it's like, it's a life changer. And so that, that is what I wanted. But now the name of the game is to be a better dad, to be a better husband. Even if I do get in my own way sometimes. When you have her to slap you around and bring you right back, right? Yeah. Isn't that what a relationship does? Yes. Yeah, Your sure does. own building blocks, right? Mm -hmm. That's, that is, that, and then you had another child, so you've got two. Yep, I got two little girls. And, uh, it's great. <laughs> I mean, I, I wanted a boy, but there's, there is a different dynamic about having girls, just mm -hmm. girls, that makes a man softer. Mm -hmm. I know. I have a 10-year-old. So, yeah, two little girls. <clears throat> yeah, I've got a 10-year-old girl and a 2-year-old boy, and he's all a boy. So I, I understand where, where you are. Um and we'll we'll probably wrap this up, but uh, the end game is no end game. No, it's not. I thought it was the end game. No, it's just level two. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you think about it. When you got married, was the end of level one. Mm -hmm. Level two started there, yeah. and now you're on level three. So you're you're getting leveled up. Yeah. But it's not that your story, you. Your story is romantic, though. It is you, a it is a love story. Yeah, sure. and that's that's super endearing, and uh, and it's, you know it's a love story about faith. It's a love story about her. Mm -hmm. That's that's endearing. That's that's super endearing, and I, I'm so glad that you came on to to share all this too. Uh, you're a happy guy. I mean, I see you quite a bit, so and. I, I Snapchat your wife. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I do. I really appreciate you coming on here and, and talking about all this and stuff. Uh, and yeah, that's that's a wild story. That is, is something. And, and I'm not a therapist by any means, but I hope you sharing this helps helps a little bit. Yeah, it, it does. It's it's uh, it helps to re-evaluate it helps to talk about it and and my hopes are that somebody listening to this will identify on some level maybe multiple levels and maybe every level um and and know that they are not in it by themselves and that just by sharing story you 
create a community and community is where we grow and it's all about growing yeah that's that's so great i really appreciate it and like i said it's it's if you want to come back on anytime you let me know and then we'll get back together and we'll barbecue and do this again yeah that's what we need to do we need to get our wives on here too yeah actually that's a really good idea I, I think that would be a lot of fun too, and stuff. Yeah. Maybe I could get your wife on here anytime, and then I'll get my wife on there, and then we'll get them on there together. Yeah. That would be some fun share story yeah. sharing. Well, Bob, I really appreciate it and stuff, ladies and gentlemen. This is you be known. I'm Rich Stone, and we'll see you next time.